airing the Addisons. Let me say this, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we've got to be careful and make sure that in everything, man, we are trying to get as close to what the word says as possible. And we got to understand that with that type of wickedness, man, you know, God does not wink at that. That's judgment. Promoting truth, wisdom, and empowerment. And you don't have shades of truth. You have truth or you have error. You have fact or you have fiction. And now we go into the thick of it. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. You know, I was thinking about Proverbs 16, verse 18, that says, Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit or a prideful uh, arrogant spirit before a fall. Uh, with that verse, Proverbs sixteen eighteen, we welcome you to today's edition of Airing the Addisons. Alex McFarland here, so honored to be sitting in for Will and Mickey Addison, dear friends of mine. You know, I wish you could have seen them this summer at our youth camp. We uh, Every summer we do an apologetics worldview camp for young people, and we've had a lot of speakers over the years. We're very blessed to work with lots and lots of w- just wonderful sacrificial thinkers, Christian leaders, and we had Will and Miki this year, and uh, don't you just love them? I mean, if, if you're a regular listener to Airing the Addisons here on the American Family Radio Network, uh, you know just how great they are, and uh, they're, they're great thinkers, great Christian communicators, but they're really funny, too. And uh, we had them at this youth camp, and we had teenagers from seven states, and uh, the evals, the evaluations of the students were so precious, and, you know, Miki ran away with the, the number one spot of most popular speaker out of, out of about a half a dozen speakers, but uh, we there was a Christian news network there to film the camp and, you know, get testimonies from young people, and uh, so they were just great, and so they're traveling. Actually, Will and Miki are en route to Richmond, Virginia, where Friday and Saturday we've got a big event this weekend, and I'll tell you more about that later in in a little while, but uh, we're going to talk about some things in this hour. I'm going to talk a little bit about courage, and and let me ask you this. What is courage? If you had to give a definition of courage, what would it be? And uh, maybe you want to call in 888-589-8840 on this afternoon. Let's let's put our thinking cap on a little bit and try to... um, Try to stretch our mind a little bit for God and country. 888-589-8840. Give me a definition. What is courage? What is courage? Uh, but why I began, while we wait for a call or two to come in, um, the reason I uh, gave that Proverbs verse there at the very beginning about pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall, the news wires are burning up right now. Um uh, and I'm looking at some of the wire services right now. Uh, Hillary Clinton is kind of champing at the bit to throw her hat in the ring and run for president. She says, I can beat him again. And, you know, I'm thinking about this, that, um, you know, she didn't beat him the first time. Uh, but she says she can beat him again. And uh, let me tell you, um, I think with the um, the the... The, the downturn of the uh, Bernie Sanders campaign. He had heart surgery, and he um, was quoted this morning in the news. Bernie Sanders said that he was, quote, dumb to ignore his body and had to go in and have, you know, bypass surgery. And then uh, Joe Biden's campaign 
is not uh, in the high gear that it was some months back. And, you know, while Elizabeth Warren really seems to, you know, be kind of a media favorite, she's got baggage. And, you know, one thing several years ago, she it was really um, she who said that uh, business owners, you know, didn't really build their own businesses, that if, if anybody did have a successful business, it wasn't due to their hard work or ingenuity or or putting their own resources at risk. Uh, if you have a successful business, you owe it to the government. And so there's a lot of people that have not forgotten a lot of the things that she has um, said and stands for. And again, uh, the Democrat Party, you know, it's not just individuals or statements or verbal gaffes that, um, you know, have hamstrung any of the campaigns. I mean, why the American people at large are pushing back uh, against the Democrat candidates individually? Well, I'll put it this way, folks. One of the laws of logic, uh, thanks to Aristotle, the father of logic, uh, the law of composition, that the parts make up the whole. Tell me about the parts, and we'll know the outcome of the whole. Okay, Uh, the whole uh, is a worldview that's very secular, an economic view that's very socialist, a view of government that is not the representative republic we've had for now 242 years, and certainly a different view of morality. And uh, there are a lot of things we could say about the different views of morality and some of the, you know, people will glibly say things like, well, you know, God's not a Republican, and we we know that, of course. Nobody says that, but I would say, um, you know, when you look at the the platform, the planks in the platform of the two respective parties, it doesn't take a theologian to understand which parties' uh, positions in recent years are more in harmony with the Word of God and common-sense morality, and which parties' uh, platform planks have been just absolutely antithetical to the Word of God, the Constitution, and common-sense morality. But you're listening to Airing the Addisons. This is the American Family Radio Network. Alex McFarland sitting in for Will and Miki. Very honored to do that. And we're, we're asking, what is courage? Because I would submit to you, dear friends and listeners, that it takes some courage to live these days. It really takes courage to speak out and to take a stand for the truth, but that's what we've got to have. We've got to have a nation of courage, and we're going to talk about that right now. We've got, uh, in Arkansas, we've got Darren. Uh, Darren, are you there? Yeah. Uh, Darren, are you? Hey, um, um, thanks for holding, and uh, turn your radio down a little bit so it won't uh, reverb back, but uh, welcome to Airing the Addisons, Darren. Okay, thank you. Uh, Yeah, um, yeah, so anyway, I guess courage, what I'm seeing is mental or moral strength to venture, persevere, uh, and withstand danger, fear, or difficulty. So that's pretty good, I think. That's a great definition. Say that again. Mental and moral strength to... Say it again. Yeah, mental and moral strength to venture, persevere, and withstand danger, fear, or difficulty. Withstand danger, fear, or difficulty. That is a great definition. I'm I'm taking some yeah. notes here because I want to remember that. Is it now is that original with you, my friend? 
No, no, no. It's not. It's not original to me. I, I just I googled it actually. <laughs> well, that's, that's a good Miriam Webster dictionary. Yeah. Well, we need mental and moral strength. Hey, Darren, thanks for adding to the conversation here. That is really, really good. Um, I tell you what, we're going to go to Mississippi and we're going to speak to uh, Jazz. I believe it is. Do I have your name pronounced correctly, Jazz? Yes. Okay. Welcome to the American Family Radio Network. Um, we can talk about several things, but first of all, what is your definition of courage? Well, biblically speaking, um, courage is, to me, um, it's just not being afraid um, or ashamed. It's being strong and courageous in the Lord and uh, knowing that whatever, I could say this more, basically whatever he has for you in your life, um, you're, I guess, more strong and just faithful about it. You know, you, you're not discouraged about uh, what's going to happen or what uh, you're about to face in life. That's yeah. what you say, that adversity, you know, you, you're not scared of adversity. You're putting your trust in the Lord and um, just understanding that He's always with you. And, and you know, I say just not being afraid because, I mean, as Christians, we do be afraid, and He wants to be courageous you know, and, and not ashamed of who He is, knowing that we get our strength from Him. I like that. Not ashamed of who God is and not ashamed of what God says. Jazz, that's awesome. That is really great. Hey, we're going to go to Iowa right now. Um, and we've got, uh, I'm not, I don't know that I have the person's name, but in Iowa there. Welcome to American Pete. Family Radio. Yeah, Pete from Washburn, Iowa. Pete, thanks um, for holding. What, what is courage? Yeah. Uh, well, I'm going to use what John Wayne said. Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is being scared to death and saddling up anyways to do what needs to be done. I like that. I like that. Our, our, soldier, our soldiers in war, when they take the hill, even if they know that their risk of being injured or dying is high, even though they're scared, they do what needs to be done. You know, you mentioned John Wayne, who I just I love, and I've been a John Wayne fan for years. But there was a big, big banner I saw, and um, it was John Wayne looking eyeball to eyeball, you know, with the reader. And he says, don't much like quitters, son. You know, we don't quit. Uh, we're not quitters, but we're not, we're not uh, going to back away either. I like this. Not the absence of fear, but being scared to death and saddling up anyway. Pete from Iowa, thanks for throwing that in there. Now, we, uh, we're we rolling on here, 888-589-8840. What is Courage Lee from Mississippi? Where, where are you in Mississippi, Lee? In Gulfport. Gulfport, oh, yeah. We we love it. Right what on is, the beach. Hey, turn your radio down if you don't mind, my friend. And what is Courage? Courage, I just left the VA. Okay, and I, I volunteer there, and there are some headstones of what courage looks like. And it usually it happens in a moment, and it's for the sake of others. Wow. Yep. And I think some of these guys are given the ultimate sacrifice, which is, you know, I, you can't program it. 
it's a byproduct of caring for each other, the camaraderie that sure. our Savior did it because he loved us. You, you know, folks, I had the privilege a few years ago, I went to the Punch Bowl Cemetery. I was actually preaching in Hawaii, and um, only time I went there was only there a very, very, very short time. But I told him, I said, while I'm in Hawaii, I've got to go to Pearl Harbor, which we did. But we went to the, the National Cemetery of the Pacific, and there are all these headstones, and Ernie Pyle, the famous journalist, and, you know, overwhelmingly Christian verses, and people who died in World War II, people who died in the theater of the Pacific. And I was looking around, and I looked down, there was a stone and a, a monument, and it said, in memory of those, now listen, known only to God. And, you know, the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. It's like what Lee said, courage that we act in a moment for the benefit of others. And, you know, God knows. Uh, people might forget, the headlines might not record, but God remembers. Hey, we're coming up on a break quickly. Matt from Texas. Matt, are you there? Matt? Hello, Hi. Hi. Yes. First of all, I want to tell you I absolutely love your show. It encourages me every day to be a better Christian. God bless you. What is courage? Courage to me is standing up, standing out, and doing what needs to be done, irregardless of what your own feelings are. Um, you can be scared to death, uh, nervous, but you know you're doing the right thing from God for somebody else. Amen. That, uh, standing up, standing out, and doing what needs to be done. Now, folks, we're coming up on a break here in just a minute. I think we might can squeeze one more call in right before this first break. You're listening to Airing the Addisons. Roy from North Carolina. Hey, Roy, are you there? Yes, sir, I am, and how you doing, Mrs. Uh, good. Where, where in my home state of North Carolina are you, Roy? Down here in this little tiny uh, county here called Jacksonville, North Carolina. Oh, yeah. Just down the way from Wilmington there. Uh, hey, uh, we love it down that way. Uh, what is courage, Roy? Courage, courage to me is uh, that... Uh, that young lady that was on just prior to myself, I said, oh, my God, he, she, she's still in my, my uh, deafness. But <laughs> courage, courage to me is that uh, it's not the absence of fear, but it's just simply, it's just uh, even though you have, even though a person, uh, you may have uh, different, um, different uh, choices there. Hey, hold that thought, my friend. we got to take a break. You're listening to Airing the Addisons on the American Family Radio Network. Alex McFarland sitting in for Will and Miki. Stay tuned. A great guest in a moment. Your calls, much, much good content and more when we come back. What comes to mind when you hear someone described as being holy? Kind of strict and rigid. Well, they're probably not very fun. They've got to have their T's crossed and their I's dotted just right. You know, uptight all the time. Here's what C.S. Lewis had to say on the topic. How little people know who think that holiness is dull. When one meets the real thing, it is irresistible. Jesus was the real thing. He was perfectly holy and overflowing with joy. When we love Him and obey Him, we'll be filled with joy too. We'll be free from the weight and burden of sin and able to obey the scripture that says, you must be holy as I am holy. Sin will rob us of everything that we truly enjoy. But when we've been forgiven, walking with our Lord in holiness, 
we'll know the joy of having clean hands, a pure heart, and a clear conscience. Why settle for anything less? With Seeking Him, I'm Nancy DeMoss Wagmuth. So there's this guy named Jordan, and he's a healthy guy. He's a dad of six, and he works as a guide in Alaska. But then he goes to the doctor, and he's diagnosed with cancer, stage four. And here's the thing. He had switched from medical insurance to MediShare, which is a Christian healthcare sharing ministry. So the question for Jordan and his wife Jenny was, is this really going to work? Our medical bills exceeded $160,000. MediShare members shared all our bills. And it was about more than just the money, too. This is a real community. MediShare is, is a family, a group of people that stick with you through the hardest times of your life. I just don't know how I could have done it without MediShare. It's so worth looking into. There's a reason this is growing so fast. If you want to find out more, here's a number for you. 833-44-BIBLE. That's 833-44-BIBLE. 833-44-BIBLE. Here's Brian Clark with today's Bible Minute. Luke 19 tells us about Zacchaeus, a tax collector who climbed a tree to get a glimpse of Jesus. The story isn't about Zacchaeus' stature, it's about his sin. He was a tax collector who was deceitfully rich at his own people's expense, and they just hated him. So when Jesus invited himself to the home of Zacchaeus, the people grumbled, to put it mildly. Yet look what happened, Zacchaeus was profoundly changed. He paid back those he cheated, he cared for the poor, he began to bring back shalom. All this because he had a meaningful encounter with Jesus who saved his soul. How do you clean up a corrupt tax system in the first century? One tax collector at a time. How do we change anything of significance now? One sinner at a time. That is the privilege and the mission we have as the people of God. To hear more Bible Minutes, visit backtothebible.org slash Bible Minute. Welcome back to Airing the Addisons. You know, in the first segment there, we're talking about courage. And our seventh president, Andrew Jackson, said, one man with courage is a majority. With that, with that thought, we welcome you back to the American Family Radio Network. I'm so excited about the person with whom we will speak in just a moment, uh, Colonel Ray Moore, a friend and a colleague of many years. But the reason I'm talking about courage, folks, you know, we were giving that headline out there about Hillary maybe going to run for president and kind of uh, boastfully saying, you know, she beat him the first time she can beat Trump again. She didn't beat him the first time because we have a system and we have a you know, point of order we follow, and the electoral votes were decisively in the favor of uh, President Donald Trump. That's why, you know, I really push back whenever, you know, I hear journalists intimate or try to imply that President Trump stole the election, quote-unquote, or something like that. And, and one of the reasons that I'm calling out for courage and praying that God will, uh, you know, baptize millions of Americans with moral courage— is that we we really do stand, I think, at a crossroads uh, for the future of our nation. Because, you know, what, what really concerns me is so many 
uh, people in positions of leadership, educators and pundits and, and those that are in the media and the press and people of, of cultural authority. They've got some cultural cachet. They speak. People listen. They, they're so dismissive of our, our systems, our government, uh, and uh, you know, human governments aren't perfect, granted. Only, only God is the righteous judge. Only God is the, the ultimate uh, King of Kings. And Isaiah 9, 6 speaks of the Messiah. It says the government will be on his shoulders. Human governments are imperfect. God's government is perfect. But I will tell you this. In terms of world history, in my opinion, the United States of America, when she was at her best, a representative republic based on the Judeo-Christian moral code, object of morality, I think it's been the, in terms of safety, freedom, prosperity, liberty, prosperity, freedom, uh, it's pretty much been second only to Israel under King Solomon in terms of greatness and goodness and benevolence. So I, I, I'm very grieved when I hear so many that just would want to slash and burn and tear down America, when really in terms of a place to live and, and fulfill your destiny and become all that your heart might desire you to be, uh, it's about the best, the best show in town for the last... 2,000 years plus. Uh, we're going to continue that thought. I want to talk to my friend, Colonel Ray Moore of the Exodus Mandate. Uh, Ray is a, a, a brother in Christ, but he's a patriot. He's a great American. He served our country, and now he's serving the body of Christ and more, and he's holding, and we're going to have him on for a conversation here. Uh, Colonel Moore, welcome to Airing the Addisons on the American Family Radio Network. Thank you, uh, Brother Alex McFarland, and uh, we sure appreciate AFR. Uh, oh, don't we, though? More and more we depend on it because of the way the secular media is going. We have to get correct and proper information, and they provide it to millions of Christians. Well, they do. They do. And, and folks, uh, the American Family Association, if you are new to AFA and AFR, the American Family Radio Network, they publish... A, a world-class magazine called the AFA Journal, and all their websites. Uh, there's a website called The Stand. I mean, there's so much content inspiring and empowering people for God and country. AFA is just tremendous. And Ray, thank you for bringing that up. But um, hey, give people a little um, snapshot of, of you, uh, Ray, and all that you're doing. And then I, I've got a few questions I want to ask you, but tell us about what all God has you doing. Well, um, I'm a, a granddad. I've uh, got four adult children and seven grandkids and one on the way. And uh, Congratulations. Yeah, we um, started homeschooling our children, our oldest son, when he was six years old in 1977, as I was finishing up my theological seminary training at Great Seminary in Indiana. And we had opened up a new campus ministry at Purdue, Evangelical Campus Ministry. So uh, just in the providence of God, we really weren't looking to homeschool. We felt cornered, so to speak. We weren't going to put him in a public school. And the Christian schools in the town were prohibited, financially prohibitive. So my wife and I just elected to do what we call family school at that time. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was six. He he didn't like the idea. In fact, I remember him saying, Mommy and Daddy, don't do that to me. He knew it was weird. But we did. And we said, we'll just do it for one year. 
and see how it goes. Well, it, it went on for 25 or 30 years uh, with all the other kids as they grew up. And we just felt like we had uh, found a like a pearl of great price. It was just incredible that we had discovered this. And looking back on it now, we know we were among the first uh, couple of hundred families in the modern era that were homeschooling. It was very quiet and confidential and almost secretive in those days. So we continued on for 20, until 1997. <clears throat> and in 1997, I, I felt like the Lord led me to offer the Exodus mandate. And for your listeners, that's Exodus mandate, one mm-hmm. word, dot .org. Okay. And they can see everything they need to see about our ministry there. And we launched that publicly in 1997. <clears throat> and it's basically a ministry to get Christians to leave behind the state-run public school system for the promised land of K-12 Christian schools or homeschooling. We support both pretty much equally, mm-hmm. even though we uh, really believe very strongly in homeschooling and think it's a very, very good thing to do in the early years up to puberty. But uh, <clears throat> really work for our children, and we've, we're offered as a ministry nationally. And additionally, it's our prayer and hope uh, and this is a key part of our mission. It's our prayer and hope that a fresh obedience by Christians in educating their children according to biblical command will be a key to the revival of our families, our churches, and our nation. So we have and a frankly the aspect. preservation of democracy. Right. Yeah. We we believe that, and and uh, since we started in '97, it was pretty hard in those days. I got a lot of opposition from Christians. I mean, sometimes it was almost hostile opposition, that you shouldn't be taking Christian children out of public school. They need to be there to be salt and light and stuff like that. And of course, that's a very silly idea, but it was sort of lodged, unfortunately, in the psyche of a lot of Christians that somehow their children were being missionaries in public schools. And I, I know there are some cases of it, but generally speaking, that's not true and not accurate. Uh, all the missionary work is being done by the left, by the humanists against our children. They're being converted. <laughs> well, 80%, they are. And, and, 80% uh, of Christian children are leaving the church because of their public school experience. So anyway, uh, do, do we, you know, we all Ray, it. um, for, for those for, for those that may not know, and I, I know there are Christian teachers in public schools and administrators, too. I'll grant you that. My mother was one. My mother was a devout follower of Christ, and she taught in the public school for 28 years. Uh, but as a rule, and uh, you know, I've, I've been in a lot, a lot of public schools to speak and do assemblies, try to help people understand really morally and spiritually and and democratically, what is the state of the content that kids get in public schools, Ray? Well, it's it, it's been uh, transitioning away from any sort of moral uh, perspective for decades, but it's really accelerated in the last uh, 15, 20 years in a really unique way. Uh, I'm a product of public education because I finished high school in 61, and we still had chapel uh, once a month and uh, prayer and Bible reading in homeroom. Uh, we had Christian teachers that taught from a Christian worldview. Uh, hey, had- Ray, would you believe um, a few miles from where I sit right now, Pleasant Garden Elementary School 
in uh, rural North Carolina, public school. We did the manger scene. We had a Christmas play every year. We had a glee club. We sang Jingle Bells, and but we sang Silent Night, too. Um, you, you think my public school would have a manger scene today in 2019? Well, I, mean, I doubt they would. Uh, but all the vestiges of any kind of a witness or even a Christian, Judeo-Christian moral code is being rapidly removed and replaced. And so even Christian teachers now who work there are under a lot of har- harassment and oppression. And a lot of them are leaving now because they, they can't coexist in that system anymore. They're being put upon to teach things that are against their own moral code, and they just their, their consciences won't allow it. And I think this is just going to accelerate more and more. And so we just think it's time to, to leave and do something different. And uh, we have the ability in the churches and families to, to do our, uh, educate our own children. I mean, we, there's tens of thousands of evangelical churches in America that sit empty five days a week. Uh, I'm not picking on anybody in particular. My own heritage is Southern Baptist, but they have 47,000 Southern Baptist churches in the United States. How many Christian schools do you think they have among all their churches? I don't know. 750. Really? Now, Say that five, again. Give that ratio again. 750 Southern Baptist churches have Christian schools. Now, if they had 5,000 Christian schools, say 10% of their congregations have a Christian school, that would be that would be a, a sad percentage, in my opinion. <clears throat> so there's something missing in a lot of our churches, and they don't understand that the Great Commission, you know, it's got two parts. The first part is the evangelical part, where he says, go therefore make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And most of them stop there, but actually verse 20 says, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and lo, I am with you to the end of the age. So Jesus had the evangelistic, evangelistic component and the education component. And so the Great Commission mandates Christian education, at least for Christians. And we yeah. don't we don't obey that. We don't follow that part. Uh, teaching, you know, and so what we say in the Exodus mandate, I mean, <clears throat> all of our churches, our pulpit ministry, VBS, Sunday school, uh, seminary education, Bible college education, all of those programs are based on that text. It's, that's the, the uh, spiritual theological justification for Christian education. Of course, there are many other texts. I won't go into all of those in the Bible about Christian education. But that, that's one of the main uh, texts that would give us justification to have any kind of Christian educational enterprise. Yet, at the same time we're doing so many things well, we turn our own children over to the pagans to educate them in public schools, uh, you know, five days a week for 30 hours. Mm-hmm. And so all we want to do with the Exodus mandate is just put the Great Commission, <laughs> you know, back in education. I'll put the uh, education component back at the Great Commission, I guess I should say. Let's start obeying the Great Commission. Well, Ray, let me ask you this. Don't Um, think that way. People don't think theologically. Well, you know, I I think a lot of people don't um, put put a lot of thought into the spiritual implications of education, because education is not neutral. It's not neutral politically or spiritually, is it? No, it's not. And, of course, we have to start with theology, or what we call you know, Bible authority, the authority of Scripture. In other words, uh, the, the, the schools are bad. 
but we take a jurisdictional position that the Scripture, Holy Scripture and sound theology, assigns the education of children, particularly Christian children, to the family with assistance from the Church or to the family and the Church, not government. They do not have a God-ordained role <clears throat> to educate our children. But yeah, 80% I... of us turn them over to the state to do it. So we're trying to correct that. It's a, and it, we've been caught in this situation because 30, 20, 30 years ago, it wasn't as bad as it is today. As, as I mentioned, my experience was not bad in the public school. To, to what degree, Ray, speak to this, if you would, the degree to which the worldview of public education has undermined the security of our government and our Constitution? Well, let's see. Uh, the Peers test at the Nehemiah Institute mm-hmm. and, uh, dot com. I'd urge you to have them on. Uh, Dan Smithwick, who is a colleague of mine, a close colleague of over 25 years. Brilliant guy. <laughs> I, I interviewed him maybe 10 years ago. Brilliant okay. guy. Yeah, he, test, he has tested over 100,000, maybe 125,000 evangelical children now with his peers test. The peers test is a worldview exam. Now, worldview looks at how scripture and theology applies to cultural and social and political issues, not doctrine. It won't look at the Trinity or the virgin birth. It'll look at politics, education, abortion, marriage, these things. <clears throat> so he's done this test, and he's uh, found that uh, as a result of the test, uh, or the, the, the uh, corrupted worldview of our Christian children, about 80% of them, of evangelical children, do not hold a Christian worldview. They may be born-again Christians, but they hold a secular humanist, in some cases a Marxist socialist worldview, mm-hmm. because of their educational experience in public schools. And the way he's tested children, he tests them in Christian schools, homeschool venues, and then he tests youth groups in large evangelical churches where the predominant number of the children are in public schools. So he has these categories that he can compare, and there's a tremendous difference between uh, Christian uh, school children, particularly in the classical Christian model, homeschoolers and public school Christians. Sadly, uh, some of the Christian schools are falling down on the job <clears throat> because they use a lot of uh, secular, curric- secular curriculum and not Christian curriculum. So there's a problem. Hey, hold hold that thought, Colonel, Colonel Moore. Hold that thought. You're listening to the American Family Radio Network, airing the Addisons, Alex McFarland sitting in for Will and Mickey. And uh, we're going to come back. We're going to talk more because this cuts to the heart of really the, the future of the country. The souls of people, yes, but the future of our country. Stay tuned because Airing the Addisons is back with more after this. What does it take to live an uncommon life? Here's former Super Bowl winning coach Tony Dungy with today's Uncommon Moment. In the middle of a tough situation, a child instinctively seeks out his or her parents for help and comfort. But what about us? Well, more often than not, we tend to worry. Worry is a negative response and does little other than to focus our attention on the problem. Prayer, on the other hand, is a positive and calming response that draws us back to God. Let me suggest that the next time something occurs and you sense worry taking over, run to God and let Him draw you back into the center of the family. 
Turn whatever you're going through to a sense of peace by praying. Tony Dungy, author of the popular Uncommon book series. More at CoachDungy.com. That's CoachDungy.com. AFR's own J.J. Jasper is a morning on-air personality, author, comedian, Christian, and family man. J.J.'s also a keynote speaker at banquets, men's ministry events, pregnancy center fundraisers, and more. Here's what others are saying. Hi, this is Nancy Wesley, Executive Director of the Pregnancy Care Clinic in Salem, Illinois. J.J.'s helped us set a record for the most funds raised at our banquet. Information on J.J.'s availability to speak at your event is at jjjasper.com. Folks, you know, I used to be a football fan. I stopped being a football fan. I could not stand the idea of people denigrating that flag and refusing to stand for it. My attitude about folks like that is, please leave. You ought to be thanking God every day of your life that you were born an American. I know that my country's not perfect, but I still love America. Tune in to The Awakening, weekdays at noon central on American Family Radio. Eight Days of Hope continues to be the hands and feet of Jesus. The ministry is in need of volunteers as they turn their attention to Beaumont, Texas. Visit 8daysofhope.com to learn how you can help. Here's 8 Days of Hope president, Steve Tiber. We're looking for people who just want to serve others. You know, you don't have to be super gifted. Every disaster gives an opportunity for a believer to share a glimpse of Jesus Christ. On a moment's notice, your life can change and you don't know what to do, and all of a sudden you get a knock on your door, and there's a dozen volunteers that have come from all over the country, and homeowners usually, uh, they just start to weep. They're so blown away that volunteers they don't even know would come to their house to help them. That's the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. Volunteers must be 18 years or older. Food and lodging are provided. Be a part of helping flood victims in Beaumont, Texas. Learn more or sign up at 8daysofhope.com. Welcome back to Airing the Addisons. By the way, folks, I want to say Miki Addison will be one of our keynote speakers Friday and Saturday in Richmond, Virginia. This Friday and Saturday, just a couple of days away, October 11 and 12. Now listen to this, folks. If you're anywhere near Richmond, Virginia, you don't want to miss this weekend's Truth for a New Generation event. You can register truthforanewgeneration.com. That's truth, F-O-R, truth for a new generation.com. Hey, we're going to talk about defending the existence of God. We're going to talk about the Christian foundation, the moral foundation of our country. We're going to talk about creation versus evolution. We're going to talk about gay marriage and transgenderism and a biblical response to this. So many things. Todd Starnes of Fox News, Bill Federer, one of our country's greatest historians, and he's going to talk about impeachment and where is all this leading and just what can we do 
not only to grow and stay intellectually sharp, but make a difference for our country. We've got nearly a dozen speakers, all kinds of topics. My goodness, you don't want to miss Truth For A New Generation, and it is for all ages. And moms and dads, let me say this, and I I give God the glory, but in the last 20-some years, I I don't know, I've been face-to-face in front of at least... 150,000 teens, probably more like 200,000, you know, 2,000 churches and 43 major citywide events. We've been in front of a lot of young people. Let me say this. They are hungry. Young people are hungry for truth, truth about God, truth about America, truth about their place and their purpose in the world. So we're going to be in Richmond this weekend. We're going to be in Cincinnati, Ohio in November with uh, another great slate of content. I'll tell you about that later. But pray, promote, plan to attend. We hope to see you in Richmond this weekend, Friday and Saturday, at Truth for a New Generation. And uh, right now we're talking with Ray Moore. And by the way, let me just say this. Um, I'll give a couple of quotes. We've been talking about the the God-ordained calling of parents to educate their kids in a biblical worldview. And, uh, you know, Martin Luther, the great uh, founder of, uh, well, the Lutheran Church and a leader in the Reformation, uh, Luther said this. He said, quote, I'm very much afraid that the universities will prove to be the great gates of hell unless they diligently labor in explaining the Holy Scriptures and engraving the Scriptures on the hearts of youth. Now listen to this, 1517, Martin Luther. I advise no one to place his child where the Scriptures do not reign paramount. Every institution in which men are not unceasingly occupied with the Word of God will inevitably become corrupt, end of quote. Now, with that thought, I want to welcome back our guest, uh, Colonel Ray Moore of the Exodus Mandate. And, uh, you know, Ray, before the break, we were talking about um, the degree to which education, it, it really does have social and spiritual outcomes, because education is not neutral. Isn't it true there's always some presuppositions and worldview um, uh principles that shape how education uh, goes forth. Yes, and the left understands this perfectly well. That's why they have made such a push for since uh, Horace Mann and since Dewey and around the turn of the 20th century to capture capture the school. Somehow, evangelicals don't get it often. They don't. And, and this is the principal thing that we should be doing in the culture. This is the one thing we could provide for the whole society is a a chain of large Christian schools all across the country, and we don't do it. Let me put out a, a, a source. We have resources, and I know we've, our time is getting limited, but we helped assist a, a magazine that was published in February, and, and it's the New American Magazine, and they put a special issue out called Rescuing Our Children, February 4th, uh, this, this, this year, and it's all about our mission, about our ministry, and I've got an article in it, but it was produced, uh, the New American Magazine, is uh, you can call and get copies of it at 1-800-342-6491. That's 800-342-6491. Mm-hmm. And one of the main things that we're doing in the Exodus Mandate is urging people to order 10, 15, 25, and work their neighborhood, in particular their church, uh, their circle of Christian friends with this magazine. We're hoping we'll 
education. This is one of the best tools I've seen, and it's all devoted to the K-12 Christian education issue. So it tells you what went wrong, talks about Horace Mann and Dewey and all the things that are going on today, but it doesn't leave you hanging. It talks about getting out and getting into homeschooling and Christian schooling and how to do that. So it's a very positive, practical article. Half the articles are kind of what's happened to us. We're asking and talking about that today. But half of them are very positive. Israel Wayne has written two of them. He's a noted uh, homeschool leader. I wrote one, Dr. Duke Pesta Cerebral, and Alex Newman about five. Mm-hmm. Very important issue and uh, one of the best tools that we've seen in 22 years. So if your listeners would order that, and don't order just one, order at least 10 or 15. <laughs> yeah, and you know, you mentioned the Peers test, P-E-E-R-S. Yeah. Right. And uh, Dan Smithwick, I'm glad you mentioned him. I need to reconnect with him because he does a great work. But, you know, what that acronym stood for, because think about this, folks, we we all have perspectives on this. Politics, economics, education, religion, and society. Social issues. Social issues, right. right. Okay, we all, everybody has some ideas about politics and government. Everybody has some ideas about money and business and economics. Everybody has some thoughts about education. And uh, we could quote leaders and America's founders and the great most respected people ad infinitum uh, who would say that education must begin with God and His Word. You know, Proverbs 1, verse 7 says that the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. So if you want to if you want to become not only knowledgeable but wise, uh, you've got to come to the table assuming there is a God and that truth exists and truth is knowable. Religion. We all have beliefs about religion, and we all have beliefs about social issues. And my goodness, we live in a time of raging discussion over social issues. So we, we've drifted, and, and Ray, I want to applaud you before d- time does fleet away. I mean, you, for 40 years, I mean, you were, you were there before most everybody else was calling out some of the, uh, the, the intellectual cancer that's in the public school. So I applaud you, but um, talk to us earlier in the show, shortly before you came on, we were talking about courage. What is courage? And as, as a veteran who served our country and achieved the rank of colonel, uh, how would you define courage, Ray? I think it's just uh, having uh, seeing what, what needs to be done, what's right and wrong, and then having the conviction to do the right thing, no matter the consequences. What the, what the cost, and it's really missing in the church today, and I, I, it's hard to explain it. I mean, I, I'm disappointed a lot in the lack of engagement by our evangelical pastors. We find that only 10% of conservative evangelical pastors, and this data for this Barna group did a study on it, very strongly support K-12 Christian schooling, but 20 to 25% moderately support it, and by that it means that they have their kids in a Christian school, they, they, they uh, support it, they recommend it, they, uh, but they don't preach and teach on it aggressively, with about 28% in opposition to Christian education, which is quite incredible to me. And they buy into the, soft, the faulty salt and light idea, the abuse mm-hmm. of Matthew 5, 13, and 14, which doesn't teach putting little children in pagan schools. It just says sure. no matter what we do, we should live and behave. 
and, but, and uh, let me ahead. let me just say this um, to moms and dads because literally, literally every week of the year, Ray, and usually three, four, five times a week, I hear from parents, and I, I love to try to help and encourage families, but parents they'll say, you know, I don't get it. You know, we we're a church going family. My child was raised in Sunday school and youth group, but he's away at college and he's an atheist and he's drinking. Put him away. You put him in a pagan school thirty hours a week. I have one of our state coordinators, Carl Priest from West Virginia, who is a retired public school teacher, says this a lot, and we are using it like this. Uh, Christians uh, <clears throat> uh, put their kids uh, for thirty hours a week in a pagan atheistic school, uh, but uh, atheists don't put their children in a evangelical Christian Sunday school one hour a week. <laughs> right, right. They've got more convictions than we do, and uh, we hand our children over to them, but they certainly don't uh, want their children to be exposed to what we're doing. So it's just, uh, it's, there's a weakness, there's a, uh, uh, you know, William Butler Yates, my favorite Irish poet from 1919, said, is a pretty famous quote from 1919, he said that the worst among us, and I don't know who he's describing, he says, the worst are full of passionate intensity, mm-hmm. and the best among us lack all conviction. And wow. that's really a commentary on the, on the Church today. I mean, you, you, it's just amazing. This is so obvious. You don't even need the Scriptures to tell well, you to get your kids out. Just look well, at what's happening. And people say, oh, I don't know what to do. Well, get them out of the schools and put them in a Christian school, a homeschool, anything. And and let me say this, um, moms and dads, young people have to see that Christianity is a priority in your life. Right. I, I mean, we we adults can't just dabble in Christianity a little bit, you know, nonchalantly, and our kids that are watching every step we take, uh, they're going to think it's important. Look, kids are going to think that Jesus and church and Christianity are important to the degree that they see that it's important in our own lives. Luke so, 640 so, says uh, a pupil after he's been fully trained will be like his teacher. Yeah. People do what we do, not what we say. So uh, if, you know, if you put your kids in a, a, a government school where they're being indoctrinated, the children don't think you really take, take it seriously. And if you I sacrifice... want your response to this, Ray. You know, we've been talking about courage for a lot of the show. Aristotle said this, uh, you know, hundreds of years before the birth of Christ, brilliant guy, will we see Aristotle in heaven? I don't know. Maybe, <laughs> but I'm not sure. But at any rate, listen, somebody asked Aristotle, what is courage? And uh, he said, it's knowing the right thing to do and being willing to do it. Mm-hmm. Not yeah, just knowing right. the right thing to do. Yeah. True courage, and I think 2,500 years later, this is really still true. Courage is knowing the right thing to do and being willing to do it. Now, give me your response to that, Colonel Ray Moore. Um, do we have courage today? If we don't, we're, how can we experience it? I think we're missing it to a large degree, and I mean, I'm not certainly holding myself up. I have my fears and anxieties and concerns, but I've tried to push through it. But um, it's it's really got to we've got to find it in the church, and we've got to find it quickly. Um, it, it's a it's a missing ingredient, and it's really missing in the pulpits. I mean, I hate to tell you the number of times I've been in the ministry forty five years, and the number of times I've had pastors 
you know, good, godly, Bible-believing, gospel pastors tell me, I can't do that. I've got all these public school families and teachers in my church. Well, if the apostles had taken that position, <laughs> we might not have a church today. So you have to figure out what's right and what needs to happen. You just have to find a way to, a way to do it. So we've got to find the courage to start up Christian schooling and homeschooling. And let me say something before we lose the moment here. One of the things that's so exciting to us in the Exodus Mandate movement is how fast Christian schooling and homeschooling is growing in the African-American Christian community. That's one of the most exciting Amen. developments that we've seen, and I'd recommend you have on your show Joyce Burgess and her husband, Eric Burgess, from Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Years ago, they started a program called the National Black Home Educators, and it's one of the best programs of its kind that we know, and they've uh, been very instrumental in helping build Christ-centered, Bible-based homeschooling in the African-American community with National Black Home Educators in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Praise God. Praise God. Well, um, let me ask you this before we, and I think we've probably only got a couple of minutes left, um, the impeachment situation. Where, where do you see that headed, Ray? I don't think it'll be successful. Um, it might be successful since they will vote on it in the House, but if they really wanted to do it, they would go ahead and have a formal inquiry, and they seem to be afraid to do that. Uh, Nick Mulvaney, who's President Trump's chief of staff, and know him a little bit because he is from South Carolina and was a fine congressman here uh, for years, and President did a good job picking him as chief of staff in the White House. And he made a statement yesterday that this is going to backfire, and I hope he's right uh, on the Democrats. And they're going to Trump is going to have a 45-state sweep. That seems a little grandiose to me. I'll be happy if he does as well as he did, you know, in 2016. But still, uh, it may backfire. Ray, we're almost out of time. Folks, I'll be back tomorrow, Thursday and Friday, guest hosting, airing the Addisons. Please be with us. Please pray for Truth For New Generation coming up this weekend. And hey, I close with a quote today from Theodore Roosevelt. He said, it is a wicked thing to be neutral between right and wrong. God bless you as you stand for what's right. 